everyone. Welcome to another episode of Use of Force. This week we are talking about an incident that happened in the Van Nest neighborhood in the Bronx as we were walking through the southeastern section of that borough this past week. This incident happened in November of 2016 and involved the killing of a man named Manuel Rosales as well as the death of one of the police officers involved. So Mike will start this episode by reading the use of force report as we do when there is one. Yes. This is a an unusually long use of force report. 43rd Precinct, male, Hispanic, 35. On Friday, November 4th, 2016, at approximately 14.45 hours, two police officers assigned to the 43rd Precinct responded to a report of a gunpoint robbery in progress at a residence on Beach Avenue. Also present in the patrol vehicle was a probationary police officer assigned to the recruit training section who was participating in field training. The incident involved a violent custody dispute between the subject and his estranged wife, in which the subject had held his wife and others at gunpoint. As the officers were traveling to the location, the subject left the building, got in his car, and drove away. The female victim called 911 at the time. The radio dispatcher provided additional information, including descriptions of the subject's clothing and vehicle. A patrol supervisor and another officer assigned to the 43rd Precinct were canvassing the area in a marked police van when they saw the subject's vehicle at the corner of Merrill Street and Commonwealth Avenue and followed it. Officers from the 43rd Precinct converged on the area. After pursuing the subject for several blocks, responding officers blocked his path on Bronx River Avenue at East Tremont Avenue. The subject made a U-turn in an attempt to evade responding units in front of 1575 Bronx River Avenue. An officer driving a patrol vehicle collided with the rear of the subject's vehicle, causing him to lose control and strike a parked stake bed truck. The subject's vehicle was boxed in by the patrol vehicle. As the patrol supervisor approached the driver's side of the vehicle with his service weapon drawn, the subject fired his 45 caliber pistol, striking the sergeant in the head and upper back. The subject continued firing, and another sergeant, who was also struck by a round, sustaining a graze wound to his left leg. The operator of the patrol supervisor's van tactically approached the perpetrator's vehicle from the rear and fired his department-issued firearm, striking the subject. The probationary police officer, who had been riding in the patrol vehicle that had initially responded to the incident, advanced from behind cover and fired his service weapon, striking the subject. After the shooting, officers immediately requested an ambulance for the wounded sergeants and the subject. Officers carried the fatally wounded sergeant to a marked police van and transported him to Jacoby Hospital, where he succumbed to his injuries. The sergeant, who suffered a graze wound, was treated and released from Jacoby Hospital that same day. The subject was pronounced dead at the scene. Recovered at the scene was a cult model 1911 .45 caliber handgun that was used by the subject. So, as we said at the beginning, the name of the man involved in this incident was Manuel Rosales. The sergeant that was killed in this incident was named Paul Tuazolo, and 
the sergeant that was struck in the leg but survived was named Emmanuel Quo. And one thing that stands out to me right away just after reading the use of force report is that the chase scene that takes up the majority of the report isn't reported on in the news articles. The articles make it sound as though Rosales was just in his car parked and that the police officers approached him it, mm-hmm. as opposed to what actually happened or what you know what was reported through the NYPD mm-hmm. the other thing that is reported a bit differently is that the use of force report says that this incident involved a violent custody dispute between the subject and his estranged wife in which the subject held held his wife and others at gunpoint which isn't quite accurate according to a friend who Manuel's ex-wife Tia had been staying with this friend asked to be not named so we don't have this person's name but I'm assuming it's a woman but they told a much longer story in a New York Post article about how Manuel had been sleeping on the roof of the building where his estranged wife and child were staying he was not supposed to be around her. There was a order of distance, a restraining order, and she had been, Tia, his wife, had been hiding from him, but he found out based on some videos that she posted on Facebook that showed the location or showed the nearby businesses. So he figured out where she was. And after a few days of hiding on the roof, he saw that the friend's husband left and as the friend and the estranged wife and the child as well as the friend's child were about to leave the apartment Manuel was there at the door and pushed them back inside he did have a gun but it didn't sound like it was a custody battle it sounded more like he was having a mental health episode and from the story that the friend tells it sounds as though she was able to ultimately calm him down over the course of multiple hours of him being there he did have a gun he was waving it around they were all frightened but he wasn't necessarily holding them at gunpoint he was more just a frightening figure in their home But she handled it in a way where she talked with him, made him seem like everything was going to be okay, made him seem like he wasn't going to get in trouble, made him seem like that, you know, him and his 
wife were going to be able to get back together. She cooked him breakfast. They ultimately just calmed him down. And then after a few hours, she felt like she could tell him that her husband was coming home soon and that they would pick up this conversation in a couple days when things had calmed down. And I guess that got him to leave. And Mm -hmm. he made her promise that she wouldn't call the cops. And of course, she prom in in person she she said she wouldn't but then as soon as she he left she called the police and tia and the children hid in the bathroom and then you know according to her story almost immediately after she called the police she could hear sirens and then she could hear the gunshots and she knew what was happening of course but Yeah, it's just, it was, um, that seems to be slightly more detailed and accurate story of what was happening prior to the police involvement as opposed to a custody dispute, which sort of, I think, seems to minimize what's actually going on. Mm. So in addition to this story, you also hear from Manuel Rosales's estranged wife, Tia, she did speak with press as well. She ultimately said that she blames the courthouses for this whole thing. He, Manuel, had been in and out of custody and he had been... I think he had been arrested 17 times previously Mm -hmm. and there were a couple different domestic issues. The most recent time the district attorney's office had requested that bail be set at $20,000 with no bond alternative and this was in Suffolk County and then the judge ended up setting the bail at only $2,000 or a $1,000 cash bond, which was obviously much less than $20,000. And he was able to post that and be released. And so she, the reason that the DA and the estranged wife had requested that the bail be set very high is because he was showing a lot of violent tendencies and a lot of mental health breakdowns and that seemed to be the safest place for him and for everyone else for him to be and yeah so she blames fully the court for not handling him when they could have done so in a safer manner Mm. and there's also information about Manuel's childhood and how he was extremely abused as a child and he was diagnosed with bipolar disorder and the abuse uh, from his childhood is said to be what 
was leading him to many violent actions, as well as recently before this happened, bringing up over and over an intent of having a gunfight with cops to commit suicide by cop. Right. So there's a lot going on in this incident. It's, I think at first glance, it is an incident that stands out because of the fact that a police officer was also killed in this incident and a lot of the news focuses on that but in a way it's also very similar to other incidents that we've covered as well Um, the suicide by cop certainly we've seen a number of times and also just a connecting it to a mental illness and I guess something that's standing out for me and then I've been talking a lot about this, so I'll give you a moment. But something that stood out for me while I was reading about all of this was that I felt like in reading the story that was told by the friend of Manuel's estranged wife, I was really curious about her history because it sounded like she handled him in a similar way to what we would hope someone coming onto the scene of a mental health breakdown, how they would handle it, making him comfortable, getting things under control, you know, sort of distracting him from the anguish. And then the only choice that she had was to call the police afterwards because he was it was a dangerous person, but I don't know. That just stood out to me that it felt like she somehow was able to manage that situation, I want to say, better than a lot of the, not not necessarily this incident, because it sounds like a lot of things kind of happened quickly once the police got involved, but it did seem like she was able to handle it in a way that we would maybe want to see professionals handle people that are having a breakdown. Yeah, Yeah. I think there, you know, there's a lot of things to say. as, As far as that specific instance, we have talked in the past about how it's difficult to imagine police officers specifically being able to navigate a situation like this in the way that a civilian could given the baggage that's associated with police officers at this time right that there needs to be some sort of new uh, you know either new force that can handle these things or a, a shift in cultural understanding of police officers, and that's just not going to happen overnight. Right. But even in setting aside that, if we did have an effective force for dealing with this in an official capacity, 
you're probably never going to get as close to potentially effective as somebody that's a good communicator that the person already knows. Right. So it may just be that this person has a particular relationship and, and could navigate and describe to them that they're being hyperbolic and, you know, and and you just navigate that situation easier. Right. Um, now, it does strike me this is, while it does have some elements that we have seen before, that's, that's to say, like, uh, mental health issues and suicide by cop, which is adjacent to mental health issues, obviously, the concept of suicide by cop. It doesn't sound like from this particular situation that it was a, a true uh, desire in the moment to have suicide by cop. It sounds like Manuel was not interested in confronting the police at that time. Well, there's actually something that I neglected to mention when I was talking about the story from the the friend that his estranged wife was staying with and she did actually mention in her interview that while he was in her home for that four hours where she was trying to calm him down that he did mention a number of times suicide by cop mm -hmm. he talked about a, it sounds like he talked about a lot of different things but that was something that he brought up a few times and he he mentioned wanting to go after and kill many different people in the family, his estranged wife and her mother and the mother of this friend. He was trying, you know, he was maybe trying to threaten them, but also maybe it was just part of the episode. But yeah, apparently he did mention in that moment also a larger design for suicide by cop, which doesn't you know, rationally line up with him also making her promise not to call the cops, but yeah, yeah. I don't think much of this was rational. Yeah, I mean, it from over the course of the year, I feel like we have seen instances where people are specifically looking to gather police in order for them to shoot them. Yeah, and this wasn't quite that. Yeah, I guess you could look at it either way. I, I know what you're saying. We have seen a number of people sort of running up to a police officer and or doing some sort of thing in public where it's very clear that they're going to be surrounded quickly. I think this, in a way, could fall under that category as well just because he did do something violent and scary that would potentially cause someone to call the police on him yeah but i i understand what you're saying i think it yeah it could be either way yeah and we don't know the context under which he said please don't call the police it also could have been right baiting in some way in either respect they're really i i don't see any recourse but to call the police Right. You can't, like, you. I would not, I can't imagine advising anybody to 
to say it's okay you you know let this person continue to be able to do this again to you tomorrow or in six yeah. hours or you know well i think for a number of different reasons yeah it's it's a dangerous situation to put yourself in he probably posed a threat to anyone else even you know strangers that he could have potentially run into he was threatening to go out and track down other family members he could have posed a danger to himself and there was a restraining order against him and I, you know if someone breaks a restraining order that's that's a legal thing that you're probably supposed to get no. the law involved yeah. so yeah i agree with you on that i don't know how you could do anything else with the options that we have today yeah and then finally it's interesting i think that this is the first time we've seen the bail system come up in this particular context yeah i think you're right where you could see someone asking for bail to be at a certain level in order to prevent a situation from happening which is I think in, in, in the context of a functioning rehabilitative system could potentially make sense. But I'm not sure if a functioning rehabilitation, rehabilitative system involves cash payments for temporary freedom or not. I don't really know. Yeah, I mean, I think in a completely ideal world our whole justice system would be you know knocked down and rebuilt i don't think that this i don't i don't think that necessarily having a cash bail program at all is the thing that makes the most sense i think it also only pertains to the time between being apprehended and having a court date to see what your punishment is and you know if we could expedite that a little bit maybe there wouldn't be need for a bail because uh, I also don't agree with people sitting waiting for a court date for years just because they can't afford their bail so it you know it goes it can go both ways like if they had set the $20,000 bail but then he didn't have a court date for seven years which happens that would also be a problem and there'd be just as likely of a chance that we would be talking about that, you know, on that alternate timeline. So it's easy, I think, to say in this particular instance, wow, that bail system is really bad. Someone that has a violent history of domestic abuse should be held in jail. I think it's it's easy when we're seeing something like this play out but then you know i don't know i don't have data for how many times people are held for long periods of time and like what would they have done if they had been not held in holding mm -hmm. yeah. there's no way to answer it and you know it's a hypothetical question mm -hmm. and then ultimately where I'm not I'm not really sure what the police response could have looked like that would avoid this. I it it 
the it seems like this event could have been triggered under most circumstances where the police would arrive. Yeah. Judging from just spending so much time um, all uh, wound up. Yeah. Unfortunately, I don't really see another way to handle it when police are involved as well. I think they... As long as the communication from the woman who called the police to the dispatcher to the police was clear, they should have known that he had a weapon because that was something that was known. You know, so I don't know what the training or what, you know, what the protocol is. The officer that was fatally shot was shot in the head so there's not you know you could say they should have been wearing bulletproof uniform but he might have been and wasn't protected where he was shot and yeah I don't know I that's definitely something just like general tactics that I don't know nearly enough to even speculate like how that could have gone better um and obviously we've been looking at these incidents where the NYPD does kill people and it happens in situations where it doesn't seem like the police officers are in danger at all. And so in, in relation to the police killing Manuel Rosales after he had shot one police officer in the head and one police officer grazed his leg already you know not that i think that any killing is justice but it does seem to be you know the other officers ultimately shooting him does seem to be something that would pass the you know, rules for when to discharge your firearm. Yeah. If your, you know, other police officer has already been shot, then that's clearly a danger. Yeah. And, yeah, like I said, they, you know, they're able to discharge their firearm when someone has a knife 10 feet away. So, like, of course they could when someone has a gun and has already shot you from two feet away. Yeah. So, I, yeah, I think the whole um, the whole incident is just really sort of like showing the worst version of what can happen when someone's having a mental health disorder and isn't able to get help, isn't able to get the right kind of help. Yes. Aside from the discrepancies between the reporting and the police report with respect to the car chase, mm -hmm. which is based on the circumstances and the information we do have is likely as much a case of the 
news outlets not feeling the need to invest additional time resources mm. towards understanding the full case and the police doing their requirement of filling out what actually happened doesn't really seem like some sort of justification for actions i could be wrong but yeah. it doesn't it does not seem in this case like there is a justification for no. actions here which is not always the case in the use of force the way that they're described Completely. but yeah ultimately it seems to me that this is one of the instances that we a type of instance that we've seen in the past where we can see that the police is being tasked with dealing with a problem that's way outside of their scope which they are frequently asked to do more than what the police should be doing and in this instance it's having to deal with just the fundamentally broken way that we handle people that have mental health issues yeah yeah i agree i think this one obviously it's someone that was being violent and obviously it's someone that had a gun so those are two things that we immediately think oh this is the perfect thing for the police but I mean, in some ways, anyone that's being violent with a gun is experiencing some sort of mental health issue just based on how our society is supposed to function. But yeah, this is sort of beyond that. And I don't have an answer for it. I don't know who's supposed to handle this incident because it combines a lot of different things that we don't currently have anyone that's really trained for. Right. But, yeah, but at the same time, it's, yeah, it's beyond what the standard NYPD are really meant to be dealing with. So, as always, if anyone has any more information about this incident or any of the other incidents that we have spoken about this year, please get in touch with us. We'd be happy to hear what you have to say. And thanks for listening. Bye.